The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Pam Maskell. Pam Maskell got her start in aviation a little bit later in life. While flying was always something that was of great interest, it was not until she took a discovery flight for her 30th birthday that she realized that becoming a pilot was maybe not entirely out of reach. A few short months after that initial flight, Pam began working towards her PPL and has never looked back. Never feeling fully fulfilled in her career in healthcare, and often joking that she would continue on her current path until she decided what she wanted to do when she grew up, when a job opportunity presented itself at her local flight school, she jumped at the opportunity to fully take the plunge into a career in aviation. With the support and encouragement of her family and local flying community, Pam has obtained her commercial pilot license and is currently working on her instrument rating. She worked as the operations manager at the Rockcliffe Flying Club and presently works at NAV Canada. Pam has a passion for all things aviation and is fascinated by the various aspects of the industry and how they all tie together. I truly could not be more excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Pam. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for inviting me to uh, to chat with you today. Thank you so, so much for making the time. Um, For full disclosure for our listeners, Pam is a very good friend of myself and Cameron, our producer, and has been a very patient and diligent listener of the show. And so we thought that it was finally time that because we have her as such a cool friend that we have her on the show. Well, I'm super happy to be here. Thank you. Right on. So without further ado, your holding short debut, how did you get your start in aviation? Uh, So aviation is something I've always been really interested in, um, but it just kind of always felt like something that was out of reach for me. Um, So I got my start in aviation a little bit later in life. I was just kind of doing my thing. Um, I I had another career. Um, I always joked, um, you know, that I would kind of do that until I figured out what I wanted to do when I grow up. Um, And at the end of the day, ultimately, it it had always been aviation. It just took me a while to to realize that. Um, So my parents got me a discovery flight for my 30th birthday. It was meant as nothing other than something fun to do. They they know I love airplanes. You know, it would kind of just be like a one-time thing, like get up there, fly the plane around for a little bit and just have something to, you know, to tell people I, I had done one time. Um, and uh, I, I mean, literally the, the minute the wheel stuck off the ground, I just, uh, I thought, oh my gosh, like this is what I need to be doing with my life. Um, it, it still didn't quite feel like it was super in, in reach. It still felt like something that was, uh, was crazy to think about, but, um, yeah, that was, that was the moment that kind of changed my life. I, you know, I, I've been joking ever since that it was the most expensive birthday gift I've ever received, (laughs) but, uh, that, that was my start. How do your parents feel now knowing what sort of they, they set in motion that something that was, as you said, meant to just be like a a fun one-time Christmas present turned into a literally a literal life-changing event yeah my parents have been amazing they are so supportive they are so proud um I mean certainly it was never meant to to become what it what it has but I think that they're just really really pleased that I have found 
what I want to do. And they have been there with me every step of the way. And um, were, uh, after my husband were the first passengers I took up and it was just, it was so fun to finally share that with them. And they've just been amazing. So you'd always had this interest and passion in aviation and planes. Where did that come from? You know, I don't know. I, it just, it was just kind of always there. I remember as a really small child, um, my, both sets of grandparents lived one on each coast. Um, so anytime we would be visiting them would be, it would be by plane. And um, looking, looking back, those were, it, it, when we were getting ready to go and, and visit them, the thing I would be looking forward to the most was the plane ride. I, I mean, obviously I wanted to see, you know, see my grandparents, it was always fun, but getting to go on the plane was the thing that I would think about weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, uh, even when they would come to town and visit us, I loved going to the airport. I loved seeing the planes. I loved the energy, the idea of people being at the airport to go on adventures or to see people that they haven't seen in a long time. It was just always really exciting. So I don't know what started it. It was just kind of always, always there. When the time came to choose a career path, Mm-hmm. or sort of start thinking about different career options that you could have. Why were you discouraged away from aviation? Or what was it about the idea of moving into an aviation career, even though it was something that really interests you, that sort of decided against going into aviation right away? I don't think it was something that was so much discouraged as it was just, it just never felt like an option. Um, being a pilot was something that other people did. Um, you know, we didn't have career fairs where, where pilots were, or certainly not female pilots. Um, you know, I was always told as, as a child, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. But I think that just seeing what was around me, that more meant, you know, you could, you could be a teacher, you could be a nurse. Um, I mean, there was, you know, obviously lots of, lots of things that I could do, but certainly a pilot just always seemed really out of reach. Um, I grew up um, in, a, in a small town. We weren't close to an airport. So it wasn't like we were all, you know, often seeing planes flying over or it, it just seemed like something I wasn't really exposed to, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, you certainly then anyway, in, in the, I guess, late 90s was when I was, you know, going into high school and early 2000s trying to make career decisions. Um, you know, you're thinking about, you know, math and physics and all those kinds of things. And those were never um, strong subjects for me in school. So I think it was just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm short, um, I'm not great at math, and I'm a woman. So is that really something that, that is attainable? And yeah, it totally is. It just didn't seem to be at, at the time. I don't have the statistics pulled up right on me now, but I know that there is a significant drop drop off of girls sort of expressing interest in sort of STEM by the time that they get to high school for different reasons. And I think part of it is that you just don't have maybe that representation. You maybe aren't seeing pilots, okay, or people in aviation, but you're also not necessarily seeing women in those roles. So I, I used to just sort of see pilots as pilots. And then when I suddenly found myself starting flight training, it really mattered to me all of a sudden to see women in those roles. I don't know why as a little kid it didn't mean anything to me, but as soon as I was sort of in that space, it became so important to me to see that representation and it makes a huge difference. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that seeing people who who look like you doing different things really puts it in your mind that that is something that I could do. And again, going back to the discovery flight, I, even, you know, going into it, it, it still wasn't something that was on my radar as far as, as a career or even, even a hobby. Um, but it was the instructor who was saying to me, you know, we need more women pilots. This is something you could do. And it was kind of that, um, that, that really got me thinking, Oh, oh I, I, I guess this potentially is something that I could do. Um, but no, certainly not something that I, I really saw a lot of growing up. Definitely. So you noted earlier that for you, aviation became something that you just had to make your way into the moment that you were wheels up on that takeoff yeah. after you landed and sort of had to sort of decompress from that flight. What was the next step? Where did you go from there after going for this trip that had basically suddenly almost decided your whole future? <laughs> so a, a couple of things were really um, come to my mind when, when I think about that day. So I remember um, I, I just, I couldn't get the idea out of my head. We, we went home. Um, I, I was visiting my parents. It was Thanksgiving weekend and um, the Blue Jays were in the World Series. And okay. I recall my dad watching the game and um, I was on my phone the entire time just looking up how to become a pilot. How do you become a pilot in Canada? What are the processes? What are the steps? How much does it cost? So, I mean, literally that night, that was that was kind of what I did for the next couple of weeks was just try to understand um, what do we need to do? How much money do we need to have? And where can I go? Um, the other thing, though, that, that really uh, sticks in my mind about that day was I have really bad motion sickness. And um, driving home from that flight, we had to stop at the pharmacy to pick up some, uh, some gravel or some kind of anti-nausea medication. So that was also something that was really on my mind as far as, is this something I can do? Can I get over this? Is this, you know, so not even can I be, can I be a pilot, but can I be a pilot and overcome this, this physical sensation that I feel when I fly or when, you know, when I'm a passenger in, in a car. Um, so there were a couple of things to kind of really look into. Um, but, but truly, I mean, from, from that night for the next few weeks, I was just researching. Um, I was a bit nervous to tell my husband about it um, just because, you know, it was such a big life-changing thing. So I, mm -hmm. I, I waited a, a couple of weeks before we, we talked about it. I wanted to make sure I had done my research, but it's all I thought about for the next couple of weeks. I was super distracted at work. Um, I mean, I just, I couldn't get it off my mind. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, starting, starting that night after the flight, it just, uh, it just evolved from there. No. And I think I, I remember distinctly having that moment too, where I had been telling people for years, I'm going to be a pilot. And then I went into an aviation college and I remember having this moment of maybe I'm going to get really motion sick and this is going to to set everything back. I, I remember just having this sort of as like a, a very, very delayed afterthought of, oh, this could not work out for something totally unrelated to my ability to do it. And it seems so silly, but it was just this, this moment of like, oh yeah, this could completely derail what I'm trying to do. So do you, I mean, I know you've been flying for years now, but do you still sort of have that element of nausea? 
yeah, at times I do. Unfortunately, for the most part, I've been able to get over it. So um, it certainly is something that with, you know, with with uh, some exposure, I think was was really the biggest thing. Um, and it doesn't happen often when I'm flying, but sometimes when I'm a passenger in, in a plane, I, I still, uh, you know, get that get that bit of sensation. Or, you know, you've been practicing spins for a little bit, or you're out there on a bumpy hot day, but no, it, it thankfully um, it, it hasn't uh, it hasn't set me back at all. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it does seem like such a silly thing, but I mean, it really is impactful. You, you, you want to be feeling well as you're as you're flying a plane. Yeah, no, my my sister is very prone to being motion sick, and as a little kid, I would see her like complaining about feeling not well while we were on a family road trip. And as like the classic older sister that was not experiencing this, I would just roll my eyes and like, Ugh, get over yourself. Like, come on, just pull yourself together. Like, see the big picture. And then you have any experience with nausea and being nauseated yourself, and you're like, this is devastating. How does anyone do anything? So it, like, it's again, there's those physiological things that you just you never know if they're going to crop up for you and it's, it seems kind of random but yeah it would completely impact your ability to do flight training and flying at all yeah yeah so you know anyone anyone who's struggling with that it is 100 percent something you can get over it's just like i said the i think the exposure is is the biggest thing it's just making making your body used to it so the first first few lessons are a bit rough but uh you know after that i've, I've been good to go thankfully so touching on those first few lessons and actually starting your first ground school, what was it like to suddenly find yourself there? You'd been doing the, your research sort of more closely to that event, but this had been a lifelong passion. What was it like to finally sit in that ground school and be the most excited person to learn theory of flight? <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was really exciting. I remember going into the flying club for the first time and picking up my books and getting a logbook and it just it it you know it it, it started it's magical. To just, it, yeah, I, it just started to feel feel really real. Um, the first few flights were uh, you know amazing. It, it just it felt really good. I yeah yeah. I, I don't know what else to say other than that. It just it it felt really good to finally be doing it. The advice we got a couple of episodes ago from one guest is to ask pilots about their first solo. So Pam, tell me all about your first solo. <laughs> um, well, as as I'm sure most pilots do, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I I I didn't know it was going to be happening that day. I knew it was coming up. I think you know. I think most people know you're getting to the point where you're 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 getting close. Um, but yeah, my instructor hopped out and. It's funny, the flight itself, it just, it, it happens so quickly. You know, your, your, your one circuit, it, it happens and you're kind of up there thinking, I, how is someone trusting me to do this right now? Um, it's over pretty quickly, but man, that feeling is, is amazing to be up there by yourself for the first time and, you know, coming into land and thinking like, oh boy, I hope, uh, I hope I've been trained well to do this. Um, it, it was just, it was really exciting. It was such a feeling of, of accomplishment. You know, it's, it's just, it's so crazy to go from having never sat in a plane to not that long afterwards, you're, you're flying a circuit all by yourself. And it's, it's neat to kind of see that, you know, that come together for, for the first time. And I will also brag on Pam's behalf because not only did she do her first solo, she was doing it at a very, very heavily controlled Class C airport where she was doing her first solo. So in addition to all the other baby planes kicking around, there was also pretty much every Q400 that could possibly be there was also at the airport at the same time. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun airport to fly at, that, that's for sure. So 
your flight training is continuing. And I know over the years we've bonded over the fact that you and I have had seemingly the least straightforward flight training experiences. What were your experiences like? Because I know they are different than mine, but there's still that element of, well, I didn't see that part of it coming. Yeah. So I started flying, uh, I, I believe it was in 2016. Um, so at that time, the uh, the industry seemed to be really booming. Um, you know, instructors were leaving quickly. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges for me in, in my PPL anyway, was the amount of instructors I had. It felt like every time I was set up with someone new, um, you know, they were they, they would be shortly leaving for, you know, for an airline or, you know, working out of VAC or, you know, uh, whatever opportunity was, was next for them. Um, I was actually doing a count um, just to kind of think, you know, thinking back to, to when I started my flight training. And I believe I had 13 instructors in, in my, uh, to, to, from the beginning to the end of my, of my PPL. So um, it was a lot of different, you know, teaching styles, um, I feel like, you know, it was a good opportunity to kind of get to learn how to, how to fly with, with different people. Um, so I wasn't expecting that certainly. Um, but I mean, overall, uh, it, it was, it was a good experience. Um, I did, I did change flight schools halfway through my private license, um, just due to availability at, at the first school I was at, um, but uh, yeah, it, it was really interesting to kind of, as you say, you know, start the training at, at a heavily controlled, very busy Class C airport uh, to then just, you know, be down the street working out of uh, an, an airport that is uncontrolled. Um, just it was really, really neat to have early on in, in my flying to have those two different experiences and, and to kind of be comfortable flying at both was really neat. And we've done the same thing that way where we started our flight training at this Class C airport and then we were at sort of just an entirely uncontrolled airport uh, for later parts of our flight training. And it gives you, I think, that confidence to know that you can handle airspace like that. I always find that pilots that train in one are always maybe a little apprehensive about the other. And it's sort of the unknown of I don't want to get in trouble with the controller or I don't know where everyone else is and it seems kind of a little lawless. but having had both of those opportunities, it does give you a foundation to feel confident enough in both environments. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't, uh, you know, I never really struggled once I moved to the uncontrolled airport, calling up terminal, calling up tower and just asking for what I need. Uh, and it seems like, you know, a lot of people are just uncomfortable with the other one, whichever one they started with. Um, so it, it was really neat to have both those, both of those experiences. So after you finally passed your PPL flight test, how did it feel? Uh, I think like any, anytime you're finished a license, license or a rating, it feels a little bit surreal. You've been working so hard for this thing and then it happens and, you know, nothing really changes. Um, you know, certainly being able to, uh, to, to bring uh, family and friends up and, and share the experience with them was, was really special. Um, you know, the thing you're, you're working on for, for so long and you're working so hard and it's, you know, unfortunately for your family and friends, it's all you're really talking about. Um, so to be able to finally, you know, take them up and, and share that with them was, was really, really special. Um, 
and it was just it was fun to you know kind of have that license to learn to be able to go out on your own and and get some new experiences and and fly around a little bit you know more than just going to the practice area uh, actually going to some different airports flying with some different people and and really um I, I remember when I when I got my my private license the examiner said to me you've earned your license to learn and uh, it was it was fun to be able to you know put uh, put those skills to the test but actually be able to uh to realize how little I knew and, and how much learning there still was to, to do right I mean you, you you you're still this baby pilot so to be able to to go to different airports and and uh continue learning was, was really cool. No, exactly that year. I remember you, you passed your private license and like, I think you have a healthy amount of confidence for your level. Like you certainly do not pretend, you know, everything, but you, you feel pretty proud of yourself and like you have a good foundation and head on your shoulders when it comes to flying. And then you move on to any other part of your flight training after that. And you can look back and go, oh my God, who who allows for this to happen? Who, who gave me those keys? I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny to look back. I can also attest to sort of a, when you're in that prep for a flight test or a written exam, it, it totally dominates your life. It is everything that you live and breathe is just this exam, this flight test. And I remember when I was preparing for my multi-flight test, I sat my parents down one day and said, like, I need to explain <laughs> the physics of multi-engine aircraft and single-engine aircraft to you guys because I just need to get it out of my system and I feel like if I can explain it to you who are not flying people then I can explain it to an examiner and that was they can be helpful that way but on the third time of you explaining like a chord line of like a critical engine they just they start to get annoyed with you so family and friends are great for when you're preparing for a big test they are wonderful guinea pigs, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, we're lucky to have such uh, such supportive people in, in our lives. So while you're doing your flight training, you also made the jump from working in your previous career to aviation. What was it like to have something that you were doing, not necessarily on the side, but it was sort of a, a passion project, suddenly become your entire life? Yeah, I, I didn't think that I would work in aviation until I started uh, being paid to to be a pilot, um, so an opportunity came up at the uh, at the flying club, um, and uh, I got my first job in aviation. It was really exciting. Um, it was uh, I was really I was really pleased to finally be fully immersed into it. I you know I, I enjoyed my my past career. I, I I liked what I did, but I wasn't passionate about it. So to be surrounded by people who shared that same excitement, um, to be at a place where there were airplanes every day, you know, look out, look out the window and there's, you know, planes taking off and landing or taxiing and the radios are going off. And it's just, it's, it's that exciting environment. So it felt, it felt just really comfortable to, to be in, you know, in, in this environment that I loved so much and, and with, uh, you know, like-minded people who, who really share that passion. How do you think your perspective on flight training and maybe not just your own, but also just sort of flight training as a whole changed when you began working at a flight training unit? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it really, uh, I, I really saw how much, how well things are laid out as far as flight training goes. You know, you really get to learn more about the regulations and about um, 
the, the, the rules that are set in place. And I mean, obviously, you know that there's a lot, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but to actually see how, how programs are developed and um, to, to learn a lot more about the, the, the regs, the, you know, uh, the, the cars, the, the rules, the requirements that are, you know, even as far as like what, what a CFI needs, uh, the qualifications that they need, the responsibilities that they hold. Um, it's, it's just really, it was eye-opening to see how much, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, how much. Because I, I don't think for one moment knowing you that you ever thought like whoever they've made a CFI, they could have just like walked off the street. This person is just basically a stranger to aviation. I know that you knew that that is clearly a qualified person who is the CFI of the school, but to actually yeah, really be looking at the regs and then also working alongside that person as a colleague, you begin to really understand just how much work has gone into being in that role and then everything that they have to have to qualify. It's, I don't think you ever just thought it was a random thing that that person had been sort of chosen by <laughs> no. like a group vote, but yeah, you would really appreciate, man, that's, that's a full-time commitment, even just to be qualified to be a CFI. It is certainly. And, you know, again, just the, um, the amount of, uh, control that you need to have over the operation, you know, knowing where your aircraft are, um, knowing when people are due back, like just, just those things that you don't really think so much about as a student. And the same thing going into, you know, into maintenance, you just kind of trust that the maintenance is being done by whoever does it. But once you're, you know, in the operation a little bit, and you know, the people who are working on the aircraft, and, and you understand a little bit more about, you know, how a snag works, uh, what, what reporting processes happen, how, how things are looked at, and, and when things are released back into, uh, into the fleet. So uh, I think just overall, it was, it was eye opening to just kind of realize all the work that that goes into uh, to, to running a flight school, but um, to to the safety behind all of it. What would you want student pilots to know about their flight training? It's, I know you can only really speak to your operation, but if there is one thing that you think that maybe student pilots have as a, um, a misunderstanding or they don't fully get the, the big picture about something in a flight training unit, what do you think that would be as a broad generalization? I think the thing that I would see the most and not so much pertaining to, to flight training unit, but just pertaining to flight training in itself is um, you know, people want to do it quickly and they want to do it cheaply. And um, unfortunately, this is not the industry where we want to be cutting corners with costs, where we want to be doing things quickly just for this, just for the sake of doing them quickly. Um, I think particularly in, in Canada, you know, people get uh, frustrated with the weather that we have here. So, um, you know, the, the winter weather is, is challenging. Uh, there's a lot of cancellations in the wintertime and our, our daylight hours are also uh, a, a huge factor. Um, you know, when it's dark at 4.30 um, and it's been snowing for the last few days, that really is limiting as far as how many hours you can get in. So I think, you know, we would often see a lot of people coming in thinking I'm gonna have my license in, you know, three to six months. And as much as, you know, we would certainly, you know, want to encourage that as far as if, if you think you can do it and you can be here every day. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times there's just factors out of our control as far as weather maintenance. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of work to do an entire license in in, in six months. Uh, you know, so people, we would see people get discouraged or they'd be spending more money than they thought that they would have set out to initially. Um, but unfortunately, it's just one of those things that it it, it can't be rushed. Um, you know, some people take longer than others, and I don't think anyone should be comparing themselves to uh, to the person next to them because that's uh, 
that's not going to make life much easier, unfortunately. I think you're exactly right. And particularly, particularly when it comes to not comparing yourself to the progress of others, because again, you have no idea what's going on in someone else's life. Are they working full time? And this is something that you can only do part time? Or is this a full time flight training gig for them? Um, there was one mentee of mine who I, I think this was great. She would have timelines and goals and plans. And I think all of that was very healthy and good. And she would work towards those goals. But I would also tell her like, you know, if that took you five months instead of three, you're still doing well. <laughs> like it doesn't need to always be exactly in the timeline that you envision as long as you're moving forward. And even if you're not, that that's also okay too. Life happens. And it can be so discouraging. I know you and I have had this discussion before of like seeing other people that started after you blitz through aviation and flight training because their lives are totally different to ours. And it's hard to sort of see people move at different paces. But I think as long as you're still in the game, for the most part, you're, you're still winning. I, I agree. I mean, you and I say all the time, you know, baby steps. It's you, you're, you're, you're going to get there. Um, you, you can't eat an elephant in a day, right? It, it, it takes time, little bites, and uh, you, you, you'll, you'll progress and you'll get there. It's, it's a lot of hard work. And if you're willing to put in the work, whether it takes you six months or it takes you a year, you know, the, the, the end is, uh, is the same. You and I definitely cite baby steps as being a big part of our, our lives and our flight training. And I think one of the things that neither of us could have anticipated was, of course, COVID and the way that that would impact everything, but particularly flight training. So can you speak to the experience of COVID from the perspective of a flight training unit and then also someone that was in the middle of doing their commercial license? Yeah, it was, uh, was an interesting time for sure, as, as I think it was for a lot of people in aviation. Um, it was really tough at the club. You know, we, we had to make some really tough decisions and we had to, we had to shut the doors for a little while and we, we shut them not knowing if we'd be opening them again. Um, you know, it was, it was scary both as, as an employee and as a student. I mean, that, that really was, uh, gosh, it wasn't even my second home. I feel like it was more my, my first for a long time. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we, we made it through, thankfully. Um, and uh, we had some really, uh, you know, dedicated people, uh, some exceptional staff. Uh, unfortunately, we had to lay a lot of people off, but we were able to bring them back. We, we got the flight training unit back up and running. Um, the, the training aspect was tough. You know, it was, I think, for a lot of people, um, you kind of wondered, is this, is this the industry I want to be in? You kind of know that it has its ups and downs, but until you're, until you're in one of those downs, it's, it, it's hard to kind of imagine what that's like. Um, and a lot of people were really demotivated. So to, to keep on through that time was, was challenging. Um, and because, you know, a lot of people hadn't, hadn't been flying, our, our skills had kind of degraded a little bit and um, you had to, you know, get current again and, and all the, all the fun stuff that comes along with that. Um, so it, it was certainly tough, but um, at, at the same time, you know, it was it was rewarding, I guess, at the end of the day to look back and think, wow, we, we made it through that. And I did have to put a bit of a pause on, on training for a little while, but uh, I, I got there. And I think, as, as we say, you know, at the end of the day, it's all it's all the same, right? We had a couple more challenges. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So um, it, it was challenging for sure. But um, I guess in, in a weird way, kind of rewarding too. Yeah, no, and I, I remember doing my flight training through COVID and this is of course like summer, fall 2020, 
there's no vaccine. Uh, we are we are so young in the in the COVID spectrum that we we don't know anything. Everything is still so so new, even in sort of uh, like six months into the uh, pandemic. In hindsight, but I remember I would be doing my flight training and I would go to a flight and I'd be wearing my mask and I have all this hand sanitizer and then I would sit in my car afterwards and think oh my god did I just risk my entire family's safety for that subpar soft field landing like are we are we gonna be okay did I just give everyone COVID because I I really botched that soft that short field takeoff and man I hope that that isn't what kills us all <laughs> no it's it, it's funny it, it is funny to look back and 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 think about you know what what we were doing yeah Everyone had to wear masks all the time in the planes. And, you know, you'd, you'd have your glasses on and they'd be getting all fogged up. And you're in this, you know, very small space with someone. And you're kind of thinking like, is this, you know, is, is this really what 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 this has become? Um, is it, is it worth it? This right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it really is funny to look back and, and think what, uh, you know, what, what we went through. Yeah. So, of course, you ultimately did get your commercial license and I will forever be in awe of you for that for many, many reasons. But I think you have truly one of the most commercial flight tests from hell stories of <laughs> any pilot I have ever met. So can you sort of indulge me in telling our listeners about your nightmare that was your commercial flight test? Oh, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Thankfully, I had, uh, I have uh, a, a wonderful empathetic and empathetic, I should say, and uh, supportive instructor to get me through that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and flight test examiner as well, I, I should, I should say. Um, so as I, as I was saying, you know, winter is challenging in, uh, in the nation's capital, uh, as far as flying goes. So, um, I had initially had my, uh, my flight test booked for, I think it was December 23rd. It was right before Christmas. Um, and we just kept getting weathered out. Um, it was, you know, there'd be days where we would go in, uh, blue skies, beautiful day, light winds, like, okay, it's happening today. I'd redo all my, all my wind calculations for the cross country and, you know, get all excited get the plane ready. And as we're walking out, the clouds are rolling in, visibility's dropping. Um, it was, um, it was suddenly it was, freezing rain. It, it, exactly. I mean, you, you name it. Um, so I, I can't recall for certain, but I believe it was the 12th or 13th attempt um, after being weathered out each previous time. Um, we finally got it done, but it, it took from uh, so December, I, I believe it was the 23rd, uh, I did my flight test on March 18th. So it was, um, you know, not to say that every day in between those days was was bad weather, but it just so happened that when when we were able to book, uh, it, the, the day just didn't allow. Uh, but one thing I have to say about that time, and actually it, it's funny because it was a year ago today, the day that we're, that we're chatting, um, we did have a big freezing rainstorm and we skated on the runway. Um, so that was supposed to be, uh, that was the day that I was booked for my 10th attempt. So it was, it was a lot of fun to be skating up and down that runway and just getting that aggression out. I mean, if I can't be flying, I might as well, might as well be skating at the airport. I remember having many discussions with you during those months of waiting to get your flight test done, because it wasn't just that it was all these reattempts is that it was months due to weather. And I just remember the I, anyone who's done a flight test will know the the exhaustion that you experience afterwards and just everything in the prep leading up to it you feel 
the need to be so heightened, so sharp on your skills. I believe you kept having to get current at your school as well. You kept flying in the meantime to make sure that you had your, your sort of flight test legs ready to go as well. That's right. I mean, I had maintained currency, but, but yes, absolutely. I, I, you know, on the few good weather days that we had, I wanted to be up practicing my steep turns and, and my, and my stalls and, um, you know, my, my power off 180s. I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was ready for this test. Um, so, you know, I could be doing a lot of, uh, a lot of ground stuff. I was ready for that, but it was, it was the flying that I was, um, really wanting to make sure that I was sharp with. So yeah, the, the, the days I did get up was just, uh, for prep. I will also say there came a point where Pam was no longer telling uh, me or one of our other friends when she was actually booked for her flight test. We just knew eventually we would get a text saying it's done. Um, and I had invited Pam to go out with me on St. Patrick's Day and she said no. And I thought, okay, well, that's fine. She just wants to have a quiet St. Patrick's Day in, not realizing that she was preparing for her flight test the next day. Yes, I was disappointed to miss St. Patrick's Day, but I needed to be in bed. <laughs> That's fair. I think your instructor and flight test examiner would also agree that that was where you needed to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> so your commercial license is done. You're working at this flying club and a new opportunity comes knocking for you. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think one of the, the neatest things about aviation is just how many opportunities there are out there. You know, we, we think about aviation being pilots, flight attendants, um, CSRs, baggage, you know, air traffic control, but there's so many aspects of aviation that I think we don't necessarily think about. And I, I think that that's one of the exciting things about this industry as well, is just how you can be involved in it. But by doing something you you don't even necessarily realize is is related uh, to to aviation. So um, yeah, a job uh, I a job came up at, at Nav Canada. Uh, so I'm currently working uh, I'm currently working at Nav. Really loving it. Um, so basically, the job I do now is uh, we we correct my my team and I correct flights that come into the system in error. Um, so things like if you know a flight a flight plan comes in where the registration doesn't match the aircraft type that's in the system, or missing an arrival or departure time, those kinds of things. Um, we, we correct those flights so that uh, when they go through to billing, the information is, is correct and, and we're billing airlines appropriately, um, you know, making sure that all that information is correct. So, I mean, who knew that that was a thing that, that, that needed to be done? Um, so it's just, it's just so, it's so cool to just, you know, still be working with pilots, working with people who are super interested and, and passionate about aviation, um, but in just a totally different capacity for the time being. I will say, I remember when I was a customer service rep, I was not the only one on my team that I would say had an aviation background that was also a customer service rep, but I was definitely maybe one of the most like vocally passionate about it. And so I had coworkers that they had gone to school for something totally different, or they were sort of taking a gap year to figure out what they wanted to do. And this was a great job because it gave them the opportunity to do some traveling. And then I was just like, we are about planes. And it was a bit, it was really nice. It was sometimes a bit odd because it was clearly like, I am the one who is most overtly passionate about why we are here beyond just the benefits that we would get. But when you work in a flight training unit, when you work at Nav Canada, for example, I mean, you're, you're probably going to be around other people that are equally as passionate. There will still be those ones that have just sort of found their way into that environment. But I would say for the most part, a lot of those people must be pretty passionate or as passionate as you are. 
yeah, it's it, it's really it's really interesting, uh, actually. I mean, I, I just I, I guess I just didn't think that there would be um, you know people as as excited about aviation who are you know who are working at, at a computer all day, but they are, and they're just you know they're they're really um, the the whole team is just really um, yeah in, in into airplanes. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's very different than your first role where you, you were not necessarily the most passionate, but you would have been the one-off person being like super psyched about planes, whereas now is everyone is super psyched about planes with you. Exactly, exactly. And I, you know, I think that that, again, I mean, one of my favorite things about the aviation community is just, it, it's the people. Um, they're so down to talk about planes or, 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 or weather or, you know, all these things that we, uh, that we just love talking about that again, you know, you talk to your family and friends and their eyes just kind of glaze over, but um, you, you know, go to the club and, and talk to a group of people about, about airplanes. And, you know, you're, you, you hear one coming, you hear a plane coming and you're all excited. You all look up. Um, I think you can just really tell when someone was, uh, was meant to be a pilot or meant to be in the aviation industry because we're, we're a different breed of people. So having now worked in a flight training context and also now with sort of an air navigation service context, how do you think that has maybe influenced and changed your perspective on the industry sort of as a whole? I think just, you know, it, it's just such a big industry. There's just so many opportunities. You can be interested in aviation. It doesn't mean you need to be a pilot. Um, so I think it just really kind of opens the, the 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 doors as far as you know. There there are other opportunities out there. Um, if you know if if you're if you're passionate about aviation, if you love the idea of of, of working around planes, it doesn't mean that you're you need to be a pilot. You know. Um, air traffic control is such a big thing. Um, airport operations. I mean, it, it takes a village to run an airport. It's uh, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of people working behind the scenes to make sure that, uh, that the operation happens smoothly and safely. Um, so there's just, there's so many opportunities out there. So what is the next step for you when it comes to flight training? So I'm currently working on my instrument rating, um, totally different way of thinking about flying, some, uh, some different rules to get used to, um, but super rewarding as well. It's, it's so neat to finally kind of, you know, start to understand this, uh, the secret language that, that you hear pilots talking. Um, and I, I, I'd like to do my instructor rating as well. Um, so certainly, uh, you know, lots of learning to keep doing, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. I mean, we, we met at both of our very first flight school, yeah. uh, what feels like truly a million years ago. And it has been such a pleasure to have, I would say like a peer in terms of someone who's also had this crazy wonky, well, I didn't see that part of it coming <laughs> together or, or just this new hiccup in terms of flight training. It's been, it's been so nice and rewarding to have someone else to, to sort of go through these, these crazy experiences with. So when I think about you becoming a flight instructor or even just doing, I mean, getting your commercial, doing your IFR, it is so inspiring to me because I know the challenges that you've gone through to get to this point. And well, for other people, they may be blitzed through it because that was what their lifestyle could support. That's what made sense for them in that time. It has been so rewarding to see you flourish and grow. And I, I could not think of someone I'd want as an instructor more than you. I mean, to have had 13 instructors for your PPL alone, you're someone that is going to understand different personality types and the way you learn. And I just, I think that you would bring so much to the table as an instructor. And I'm not saying that just because I'm your friend. 
well, I'm saying that's that really sweet. Like, I've seen you have 13 different <laughs> PPL instructors and 13 different attempts for your commercial flight test. Like, you know how <laughs> flight training works and you know the support that a student needs. Well, that's that's really kind. I mean, I, I certainly, as I've been saying, I love talking about aviation. So if I can uh, can help someone, uh, you know, achieve their, their dreams or, you know, get to where they want to be, um, I, I think uh, I think it would be a super rewarding um, job to do for sure, for sure. That instructor who I met on my discovery flight had no idea what he was what he was starting in me. So, um, yeah. Have you ever thought about reaching out, like trying to figure out who that person was and reaching out to them? No, I don't even know how I would find out who it was. It was, I mean, it was so long ago and it, it was, yeah, but, but you're right. I probably could. Yeah. It's, it's so small. Someone must have a long no, you're right. somewhere. You're right. Like you, yeah. you can do it. I think you yeah, can do you're it. Right. When it comes to being an instructor, is there one maneuver or one lesson that you are just not psyched about having to, to do? Is it just that it was difficult for you as a student or you just didn't care for it. So the idea now of having to do it over and over again with students is just like, just gross to think about. What is that maneuver for you? It, for me, that would be spins. Um, I certainly got a lot more comfortable doing them for uh, for my CPL, but um, yeah, the thought of being up there with someone who uh, I need to recover the plane for and, and <laughs> but no, I, um, I, I remember saying to one of my instructors in my CPL training, I just, I don't like doing this stuff. Like, I, I, I just want to go flying. Like, um, can we, can we just go on a fun cross country? And he said, you know what? I don't like doing this stuff either, but it's something we have to do. So we're just going to go up there and we're going to do it and we're going to do it safely. And we just want to make sure that we know how to do it. And that's kind of the mentality that I, that I try to take with me now when, when I'm doing, you know, aggressive stalls or uh, thinking about doing spins it's just something that we do. And, and it actually is a ton of fun. Um, it's just not my favorite. No, I, I think that you're entirely right. It's the things that like no no one wants to be recovering from like a spiral dive. But there's there's a reason why we teach it. So that if God forbid you ever find yourself there, you know how to or you, you've been given the skills to get yourself out of it. But they, they really waste the dual cross countries on your PPL. Because like you would just enjoy it so much more later on in your training when it's totally. like everything else is the worst or is just so difficult, so much more challenging. It's like, you know, I just would love like a little dual cross country exactly. uh, if you're in Ottawa to like to Smith Falls. Like that would just be so nice today. Can we not do stalls for the 20th time? Can we just go somewhere fun today? Yeah. yeah. It, it's a, it is wasted. The dual cross country, they are wasted on PPL students because they don't appreciate <laughs> that you don't get to do this yeah. going forward. Man, maybe if I'm rewriting the training manuals, I want more dual cross country. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) Flight flight training units will love me. (laughs) So when it comes to aviation, um, it's such an industry and network that just is based so much on the people, on the quality of the people that you get to meet and so many different things related to aviation. It could be tough, but the people around you make it so much better. So what advice would you have knowing that the network has sort of given to you what advice would you have for other people doing flight training especially when it's not going exactly according to plan i think um you know my number one piece of advice would be that you're on your own journey don't compare yourself to anyone else um that that's really helped me through through my training just reminding myself that that this is my journey and truly everyone's is different um I think that's uh, that's my biggest piece of advice for sure. 
you've been a testament to the journey is uniquely your own. And I know we, we have been in those moments together and sort of looked around and said like, this, this sucks right now, but one day it's going to be a great story of how much I had to conquer to get this written exam or this flight test that it's, it's all part of the adventure. Some of us have maybe adventured a little bit more, but it's, it's all part of flight training and your story will uniquely be your own. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as much as, you know, it, it, it has been a challenging journey, certainly harder than, than I thought it was going to be when I set out, it, um, it's also been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Um, it, it, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but also, you know, to look back and think, wow, I did that. You know, I went from, just like everyone, you know, went from never flying a plane to sitting here with a commercial license working on my instrument rating you know and uh, as much as you 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 know you can do it when you start out you have days where you wonder if you can and and then you do and it's just it, it's it's so empowering and it's uh, it, it's it's so rewarding it, it's just it's it's one of the well I'd say it is the most um wonderful adventure I've ever been on I know we talked about this after you passed your commercial flight test but it was this idea that this is all you like there are other things that you've done in your life where you've had tons of support and lots of people helping you and you had that all the way through flight training too but that there's something just as you said so rewarding so amazing about passing those exams and it came down to you and your performance no one was helping you during that test no one was coordinating with you people were cheering you on but you had to be the one actually doing it and it is it is so um confidence building or i hope it is entirely and and certainly I've had many people you know supporting me and cheering me on and I, I couldn't have done it without them but you're right I mean this isn't something that you can get by you know with, with your personality or you know with, with some smiles it, it it really is something that you have to work and and earn and um it's it, it's just it, it it is so rewarding and it really you know you you come down from a good flight having you know finally had that eureka moment um about something you've been struggling with for the last few flights and there, there's no better feeling than that it, it's pretty cool now you've talked a lot about the support that you've had over the years who is someone in aviation you admire and why oh that's a good question everyone so hates this question everyone hates this question so yeah. much um you know i think i i've i've been really fortunate to have um, some people who, I mean, truly owe me nothing. Um, I went, when I first, uh, decided that I, that I wanted to start flying, um, a friend of mine, uh, who is a pilot, I had reached out to her and, and asked her a little bit about, you know, what it's like. And she said, she'd happily set me up with, with a friend of hers. Um, and, uh, and, you know, got in touch with her. We went out for coffee. Like she took her time to to go out and with someone she she didn't know um she owed me nothing and you know she she just really took that time to to talk about talk about aviation with me talk about the industry a little bit and i really um i really just admire so many people in this industry who are always just willing to to help you know it, it's i've just met so many incredible people um so it was uh, it was Kate Spear who I went out for coffee with, uh, and she's just been an an incredible supporter. I am 
in awe of, of, of her career, um, in, you know, not only the things that, that she's done in her career, but just the, the, the amount of time that she takes to, to support her, her mentees. And um, she just always has time. And I, I just, I think that that's, you know, with, with all the things that she's got going on in her life to, to be able to, 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 to make time for people, um, I just think is really neat. Um, and, you know, I think you and I share this one, but Kathy Fox, I think is one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, oh, she's just, she's so wise and um, she's just, she's had such an amazing career and she's really paved the way for, for women in aviation. Um, so she's, she's pretty amazing. Say, I know, I know Kate and I know Kathy, and I will say that they both have this uncanny ability to make you feel like you were one of the most important part of their days. If you bump into them or come across them or just have a scheduled coffee chat with either of them. And I know Kathy in particular, she has no idea of how cool she is or the impact that she's had. And so I would say it sometimes is almost like jokingly like too accessible. Like you can just go up to her and be friendly and professional and she is willing to make that time for you. And it always blows my mind because I think like you're you're kind of too important for people to just sort of casually come up and and nope that's is she's never um, at least to my knowledge sort of lost sight of just being like I'm just gal and I'm just trying to and I'm just a professional but I'm also just trying to you know be nice and pay it forward because someone did it to me. Yeah, I think she's had such a big impact on on the industry and really has has paved the way for a lot of women and I. I yeah, I, I think she's pretty humble about that, which makes her even cooler. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's uh, she's just she's she's so well spoken. She 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 tells you like it is, and I I really really respect that. Now, sort of thinking about your flight training experiences so far, your flying so far, and hopes that you have for the future, what would maybe be a memory or a highlight for you if you look back on your flying up until now? Another great question. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking back to some of the flights I've had. Um, you can have more than one. We will allow it. Yeah. So I, I flew to Toronto. Uh, well, I guess I've flown to Toronto a couple of times, but there, there one time in particular, um, we needed to get to Toronto to pick up a, a plane and it was just kind of on a whim. And it was just, it was so much fun. Um, I feel like sometimes when you're, you know, you're just kind of going into work, not expecting, not, not knowing what your day is going to turn into. And then all of a sudden you get to go on a, on a flight it was always a pretty good day. And that, that day was super memorable. Um, flying, uh, you know, uh, seeing, seeing the CN Tower, flying into Toronto, just the excitement of, uh, of, of that. Um, super, super fun. Um, 300 nautical mile was another just kind of a, a chance to kind of, I guess, reflect uh, back. I, that was the last thing I had done for, for my CPL. Um, it was a beautiful day and just um, flew down to Southern Ontario. Um, and it was just a really good, as I say, a really good chance to just kind of reflect on everything and, you know, how, how far I've come and, 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 and the journey. Um, that was really neat. Um, some of the night flights have been a lot of fun too. Just, you know, being up at night, seeing the lights, seeing the city from a different perspective. Um, Montreal is a beautiful place to see from, from the sky at night. So just some really fun cross countries, I think. I think that's been the highlight. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? 
So I can be found uh, on Instagram at, uh, at bullet with airplane wings. Um, that's probably the best place you can find me. We will be sure to have that link in the episode description for our listeners. Pam Mascal, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's been a pleasure. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Thank you.